Hey, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, science journalist James Nestor is back to help you learn how you can breathe better. Then you'll learn about why it's a big deal that nobody knows who invented Bitcoin and why the development of farming may not have been a step up for our hunter-gatherer ancestors. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Yesterday, James Nestor told us why we were breathing all wrong. But don't worry, he's back today to tell us how we can breathe better. James Nestor is a science journalist and author of the book Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. And he says that better breathing starts with something surprisingly simple. So the foundation of all of this is breathing awareness. That's what it all starts with. Whenever you meditate, what's the first thing that you do? You sit quietly in a room and focus on your breath. So just maintaining breathing awareness, you're about 50% there. And then after that, you can start really honing this depending on what you need. So what I focused on, instead of looking at these individual breathing techniques, there's literally thousands of them throughout history, and it's completely overwhelming. You you pick up an old yoga book and there's 400 different breathing techniques with all these crazy names to them. So a foundation of healthy breathing is awareness. Number one, breathe through your nose all the time. Okay. In and out through your nose all the time. Breathe slowly, breathe lightly, breathe deeply and breathe less than you think you need. The vast majority of us are breathing way too much and we're overworking our body and actually depriving our bodies of proper oxygen. Wait a second. That sounds very counterintuitive. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? How, how can you breathe too much? Sure. And, and this is the stuff that just confounded me for months, but we've known about it for a hundred years, 120 years. Yandel Henderson at Yale discovered this more than 110 years ago. So right now, if you're sitting down, don't do this while driving people because you might get lightheaded. But if you just breathe, breathe through your mouth, breathe too much, breathe 20 or 30 breaths like that, you're going to feel your head sort of get light. You might get a little dizzy. You might feel some tingling at the ends of your fingers or your extremities might get a little cold if you keep breathing this way. This is not from an increase of oxygen to these areas but a decrease of circulation. Because when we breathe too much, we offload too much carbon dioxide. Without carbon dioxide, circulation could get stunted and it makes it a lot harder for oxygen to get throughout our bodies. So slower, deeper, lighter breaths will actually oxygenate us so much more efficiently. So that's why people breathe into a paper bag, right? But that's to get more carbon dioxide and carbon dioxide actually helps us breathe more? Carbon dioxide helps with circulation. So if you right now were to breathe 100 or 200 breaths, you can show a decrease of oxygenation and circulation to your brain by about 30% if you really enter into states of, of chronic hyperventilation. So what panic attack sufferers were given was a paper bag to increase their CO2. They're now suggesting people not do this because Oftentimes, panic can be confused with a heart attack, and some people have given people suffering a heart attack a paper bag, which is bad news. So it's much better, instead of when you're having a panic attack, to breathe too much, which is often what happens, same thing with an asthma attack, breathe less, control your breathing, take control of it, breathe less, and breathe lightly, and that's the best way to stave off an attack. Again, that was James Nestor, a science journalist and author of the book Breath, 
the new science of a lost art. You can find a link to pick it up in the show notes. You've heard of Bitcoin, right? It's a digital currency that was created in 2008 by Satoshi Nakamoto. It's exchanged electronically, it's not tied to any banks, and no central authority controls it. But you may not know this next part. No one actually knows the true identity of Satoshi Nakamoto. And that's even though Nakamoto is estimated to own 5% of the total supply of Bitcoin. That's a lot of money and a dangerous amount of power. Now, Nakamoto has communicated electronically from a profile with the nonprofit P2P Foundation. And there, Nakamoto claimed to be a Japanese man born on April 5th, 1975. But searches for that identity don't return many results. And anyway, the birth date is fishy because of the dates involved. April 5th was the date that President Franklin D. Roosevelt signed an executive order forbidding the hoarding of gold by U.S. citizens in 1933. And 1975 was the year gold ownership once again became legal for U.S. citizens. Coincidence? Maybe, maybe not. One clue arose when Swiss coder Stefan Thomas graphed the timestamps from more than 500 posts that Nakamoto had written in a Bitcoin forum. Thomas identified virtually no posts between the hours of midnight and 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, which suggested that the lull happened when Nakamoto was asleep. The English in the posts was perfect, too, so Nakamoto must be American, right? Maybe, except comments in the Bitcoin code used British spelling. Red herring or cultural giveaways? Who knows? Some claim Nakamoto must be a group of people based on the different technology disciplines behind Bitcoin. But one individual who's been suggested as a likely candidate is Nick Zabo, who created a Bitcoin predecessor called BitGold. But he denied that he is, in fact, Nakamoto. And so did a Japanese-American man from California named Dorian Satoshi Nakamoto, who has a similar name and birth date, and experience as a system engineer in financial information services. And before you even ask, Elon Musk has also denied being Satoshi Nakamoto. Okay, so why do people care so much who invented it anyway? Well, like I said earlier, Nakamoto owns roughly 5% of the entire supply of the cryptocurrency. That's roughly 1 million Bitcoin. Multiply Bitcoin's current price by 1 million, and that would make Nakamoto a very, very rich person, or people. Then again, a massive sell-off could trigger a ripple effect that crashes the value because of the increase in supply. So it's hard to predict exactly what would happen, but it definitely would be something. Perhaps fortunately for now, the creator of the world's first decentralized digital currency remains a mystery. And that's kind of poetic, don't you think? In the timeline of human history, our transition from hunter-gatherers to farmers is considered a major step up. But did hunter-gatherers really have it so bad? The fact is that in some ways, they actually had it better. The transition I'm talking about took a long time to happen. Anatomically modern humans have been around for about 200,000 years, and it wasn't until about 188,000 years into our existence that we began to change. Instead of following our food, we planted it in the ground. This was a major technological revolution. And it's easy to think that the transition from hunter-gatherer societies to more agrarian ones led to an improvement in the overall quality of life. That's been the common theme for thousands of years. Even in the Epic of Gilgamesh, the oldest written story known to exist, 
The Mesopotamians seemed to consider the hunter-gatherers outside of their settlements as subhuman. But there's growing evidence that in some ways, foraging humans might have actually been better off before settling down. For starters, they likely worked fewer hours per week than their agricultural counterparts, and that led some anthropologists to dub them the original affluent society. It's possible they were healthier, too. They had more varied diets than the farmers and weren't linked to a single food source, so they were more resilient when it came to bad weather and other disasters. A grim 2011 study found that the skeletons in agricultural burial sites include a greater percentage of people between the ages of 5 and 19 years old than the burial sites of their hunter-gatherer counterparts do. When you look at it that way, agriculture seems like it made life harder, not easier. So if farming came at such a high cost, why did we become farmers? Well, it might have come down to numbers. See, while farming may have been a more demanding lifestyle, it created a surplus food supply for the first time in human history. This led to skyrocketing population growth. If the farming population is growing at, say, four times the rate of the foraging population, the farmers will eventually win on numbers alone. Also, planting food in the ground meant settling down, which meant humans were living in larger populations than before. This led to the development of written language, organized religions, economies, and diverse non-farming jobs to support it all. These were all things that were never necessary for our hunter-gatherer ancestors. So, you win some, you lose some. Let's wrap up with a quick recap, starting with the fact that you can teach yourself how to breathe correctly. The first thing to do is be aware of how you're breathing, and then make sure you're breathing through your nose and not too much. Turns out carbon dioxide actually helps with circulation. So that's a thing your body needs. Who knew? This was a big thing that I had to work on when I was first starting out with marathon running, because when things would get really, really hard, you know, laid into the marathon, I would start breathing really strangely. And I remember the first few races that I did, it was with my mom and she would always kind of coach me through breathing. And it was always breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth, even even if you're having a really hard time. And it, it really helps. It, it's amazing. You, It's like at the moment that you feel like breathing in your nose is not going to get you the air you need is kind of the time you should try it. Running is hard. <laughs> it is. It is. And we also learned that nobody knows who invented Bitcoin. Quote unquote, Satoshi Nakamoto could be one or multiple people. But so far, the truth has remained elusive. The truth is out there, as they say. But Nakamoto owns about one million Bitcoin. So there are plenty of people keeping an eye on the Bitcoin wallet of the cryptocurrencies inventor or inventors. People are able to keep an eye on the wallet because the way that Bitcoin is structured, there's a public ledger. And so what that basically means is you can see the transaction history of every transaction that's ever occurred on the Bitcoin blockchain by anyone ever. And because of that, you're able to see that there is one really large concentration of Bitcoin in one particular Bitcoin address. And if you were frustrated by the fact that we never actually said the value of Bitcoin in that story, well, that's because the value of Bitcoin at this moment is going to be different than the value of Bitcoin when you listen to this episode. It changes a lot. So you can always look it up. The value of Bitcoin when you started that sentence 
is going to be different <laughs> than when you ended that sentence. And that's not a shot at Bitcoin. I'm not knocking it, but it does have a highly volatile exchange rate. And it exceeded an exchange rate of one Bitcoin for 40,000 US dollars at some point in January. So 1 million Bitcoin times $40,000 is $40 billion. I was not kidding when I said that that account is worth quite a lot. But we also learned that hunter-gatherers may have worked fewer hours, stayed more healthy, and even eaten more varied diets before the development of agriculture. But still, farming gave humans a surplus food supply for the first time, and that helped our populations grow. Guess it was a double-edged scythe. Today's stories were written by Cody Goff, that's me, and Cameron Duke, and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Script writing was by Cody Goff and Sonia Hodgen. Today's episode is produced and edited by Cody Goff. Breathe easy, knowing that you can join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious.